Well, thank you for, for being with us this afternoon. I just want to reiterate the welcome that Abby gave earlier, whether you uh, are regularly uh, with us at Foundation, whether you consider yourselves part of the family, uh, or whether you're maybe just uh, joining us for the first time today online, I just want to say you are so, so welcome. Uh, my name's Owen, and I've got the privilege this afternoon of uh, sharing with you from the next in our series, On the Road with Jesus, uh, a journey through the New Testament book of Luke. And this series, as we walk through Luke together, the, the point is, is that we are joining Jesus as he journeys from place to place in this book. And, and as we do, we're seeing how he engages with people, what he has to say to people, how he receives them, how he interacts with them, and how his words actually uncover their hearts. And how his actions too uncover their hearts and reveal to, to them uh, and to others what they're really like. And as we read too, we find that Jesus' words and Jesus' actions uncover our hearts too. And we discover who we really are and what we're really like and how Jesus wants to meet us in that place and so we're going to be reading today from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through to 26. If you've got a Bible, I really would encourage you to open it up uh, and find Luke 6, verse 17. Uh, if you don't have one, then the words will come up on the screen. We're going to begin by reading the first little section from verse 17 onwards. We read this together. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all." These first few verses in this passage really set up for us where we're going. They set the scene for the verses that we're going to focus on today. We've just read, Jesus is continuing to do all that he said he'd do. All that we've seen him doing already in this Gospel of Luke. As people crowd around him to hear him proclaim good news to them. People are crowding to hear good news. The sick are healed. Those who are troubled find peace and release from captivity. Captivity uh, spiritually and captivity physically in sickness. And Jesus' power to heal in these verses is remarkable. It's so absolute. It's so complete that all people need to do is just simply touch him and they're healed instantly. This is amazing. Jesus is continuing to do what he said he'd do that we read together in Luke chapter 4. And in the context of him working these miracles, in the context of him setting the captives free, in the context of him bringing healing to those who are sick, Jesus looks at those who've gathered around. He looks at those who've come to follow him and he says these words. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time 
today. Let's read from verse 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So he looked at those who were following him, who were around him. And he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. These are both interesting and challenging verses. Jesus gives four contrasting pairs of statements here, and on a first read, they sound pretty odd to us, don't they? It's like, blessed are you if you're poor, but woe to you if you're rich. Hang on. <laughs> like, we're not used to thinking of it that way round, are we? We tend to think... And people even say, like when they've got lots of stuff, they're like, yeah, I'm so blessed, so blessed. And Jesus here says, blessed are you if you're poor, but woe to you if you're rich. And we think, hang on, <laughs> these statements he makes don't really match up with our assumptions about life and how it's supposed to be. Actually, they, they feel and sound wrong to us as we read them. But what we need to know is that as Jesus makes these statements, he's letting us in on things from God's perspective. And as we approach these, the, the first thing we have to notice is that these aren't um, kind of aspirational statements that Jesus makes. And, you know, so he's not kind of saying to those who are poor, he's like, man, sucks to be poor, but, it, but it's okay, because you'll be rich. It's like, you're not blessed now because you're poor, but you will be. So, and then it'll be okay. He doesn't actually say that. He says, it's a statement of fact about things as they are. He says, blessed are you who are poor. It's not like you're not blessed now in your poverty, but you will be blessed and then it will be okay. And they're not expressions of hope and they're not prayers either. Jesus isn't saying, you're poor, but I'm praying you'll soon be rich and then it will be okay. Or, you're hungry, but I'm praying you'll soon be filled, and then it will be okay. That's not what he says, actually. These statements from Jesus are about things as they are. He says, if this is you, you're poor, you're hungry, if you're rejected and and reviled for the sake of following Jesus, then, then you are blessed. So as we read them, I guess we really need to ask, where are we in these four contrasting statements? 
Because on one set of four, Jesus says, you are blessed. And, and for the other set of four, he says, woe to you. And so I suppose it's fairly important for us to consider, where am I? Am I among the blessed? Or do I stand amongst those on whom Jesus pronounces judgment? To those who he says, woe to you. I guess it's important that we need to find out. We need to ask and consider, where do I sit in this picture? So let's jump in. We're going to begin with the first pair, blessed are you who are poor. But we just need to clarify what Jesus means by that before we go too much further. Because whilst Jesus clearly has a heart for the physically poor and marginalized, and we see that consistently throughout the Gospels, they aren't the only people who Jesus engages with. They aren't the only people who Jesus proclaims good news to. They aren't the only people who he reaches, and they aren't the only ones who are blessed. And so whilst Jesus clearly does have a heart for those who are physically poor and in need, those who are sick, those who are suffering. And we see him engage them with compassion and with love consistently throughout the Gospels. They're not the only people, actually, who Jesus brings good news for. Actually, Jesus' disciples come from all kinds of sectors of society. The tax collectors who he called would have really been quite wealthy guys from the taxes they'd collected. So if you just read this and went, I'm on the bread line. We are just scraping by on benefits. And that might be the case for some of you. But if you read that and read this and went, oh, well, that that must mean I'm blessed. (laughs) That must mean the kingdom of heaven belongs to me then I'm sorry to break it to you, that's not actually what these verses mean. And equally, if you read it and went, oh man, like we're in trouble. Like we, we live in a big house, we've got a couple of cars on the drive, actually maybe you've even got three. You know, Wokingham has the highest concentration of three-car households in the UK. And maybe you're amongst them, who knows? Maybe you read that. And he went, oh man, we're in trouble. Woe to you who are rich. Ah, then don't panic. You can breathe. It's okay. Because that's also not what this means. The Bible does have plenty to say about money and wealth and how we're to handle it and steward it. And Jesus does address it directly. And we're going to get to those passages as we continue through Luke's gospel. But the Bible doesn't teach that poverty is a sign of God's blessing and wealth a sign of judgment. And it also doesn't teach that wealth is a sign of God's blessing and poverty a sign of God's judgment. So we have to remember when we approach a passage like this, where we read, blessed are you who are poor, and it doesn't seem to fit with the the rest of the teaching of Scripture, that What we don't do is just take a stab in the dark and go, well, it it seems like it means this, so there we go. (laughs) We, 
We don't have a guess at it. We don't get to decide what it means for ourselves. Instead, we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And and what I mean by that is that we allow passages which speak clearly on the subject to shine light on those which might seem more obscure. And in this case, very helpfully, we have Matthew's Gospel account of the life of Jesus Christ. And and in Matthew's Gospel, we have another account of precisely the same teaching from Jesus, and it's either exactly the same event recorded from a different vantage point, or it's another occasion where Jesus teaches the same thing. And either way, as we read it, we find clarification that we need about what sort of poverty and what kind of hunger Jesus is addressing with these words. Because in Matthew 5, we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we read, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In Psalm 42 and 63, we also find this same kind of language about spiritual hunger and thirst that finds its satisfaction in God. And so when we read these verses, we need to understand that Jesus is not necessarily talking about the physically poor, but those who are poor in spirit. What he means is, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, That's blessed are you who recognize your absolute lack and your absolute need of a savior. Who recognize that you don't have a righteousness of your own, but you're actually desperate in your sin-sick condition. Recognize who come to Jesus like the leper that we read about earlier in chapter 5, knowing that you need to be made clean. Jesus is building on what we've already seen him teach, how we've already seen him engage with people up to this point, saying that finding salvation and hope means humbly acknowledging your need. To be spiritually poor means recognizing that you need God, that you need a saviour, that you need the righteousness of Christ because you don't have any of your own. This is good news, by the way. (laughs) Okay, For those who recognise their absolute need, well, they receive, what does Jesus say? The kingdom of heaven. Well, what does that mean? We could spend a long time unpacking it, but it means you receive intimacy with God, relationship with Him. It means that you are brought into the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that there you find His favor. That's amazing, right? Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven but on the other side of things. Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich. 
He's saying, woe to you who believe yourselves to be spiritually wealthy. Woe to you who don't believe that you have need of a saviour. Woe to you who think that your own good works and righteousness is enough. Woe to you. Now material wealth can also cloud our judgment in this. And if you've observed that. <laughs> but there's a, there is an aspect of material that can affect the way we respond spiritually too to our need of God or our, our felt need of God at least. It can, it can cloud our judgment and kind of insulate us from feeling that we have any need. That we feel satisfied. It can give us the illusion of comfort and security. But that is just a mirage. It doesn't truly satisfy Crucially, what we need to see in these words of Jesus, woe to you who are rich, or woe to you who believe that you're spiritually affluent and that you in yourself are good enough, you don't need a saviour. We have to see how contrary this is to the message that we receive day in, day out, all the time. If you open your eyes and ears in this world, then you will be bombarded with a message that is utterly contrary to what Jesus just said. The internet, social media, TV programming, newspapers, magazines, novels, the lot is awash with feel-good pep talk messages that, that are designed to massage our ego and tell us that we're good enough that we're awesomely, stupendously amazing, just as we are, whatever we do or desire, and that everyone should respect us for our awesomeness. The message that we're bombarded by in the media is that we are, in the sense Jesus is speaking about here, rich. And as far as the media is concerned, that's a good thing and we all need to see it about ourselves and we all need to receive it and we all need to believe it about ourselves that we are deserving and you know what it's a really enticing message but it's a deadly one the message of the bible is clear apart from christ we have no hope we're poor and broken, and in need of a rescuer, in need of a saviour, in need of one who will give his righteousness on our behalf, who will wash away our stained and soiled and broken record and replace it with his perfect, spotless, holy one, as though it were our own. And if you can't see that need in yourself, if you can't see your poverty and your need of a saviour, then Jesus here pronounces that the prognosis is bleak. There's no internal inheritance. He says, whatever you've got here and now, that's your lot. You've received your consolation. But blessed are the poor in spirit. There's is the kingdom of God. He continues, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. 
Or as we read in Matthew, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus says here, those who recognize their poverty in spirit, those who recognize their need and those who, as a result of that, hunger and thirst after righteousness are blessed people indeed. But what does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, it means you pursue it. (laughs) Yeah? If you are hungry and thirsty, you will do whatever you can to get food and drink, won't you? Yeah? I don't know, maybe we're not very good at understanding this in our very affluent Western culture on the whole. Many of us don't really know what it feels like to be truly hungry, but if you are desperately hungry and thirsty, you will do whatever it takes to satisfy that hunger. Now here's the great thing about this. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied in an immediate sense when we come to Christ, when we place our hope and trust in him, in an immediate sense, this hunger is satisfied. As his righteousness is given to us as though it were our own. But at the same time, the whole of the rest of our lives will be spent and should be spent hungering and thirsting after righteousness desiring and pursuing maturity in our faith, longing to grow in sanctification, to grow more like Jesus our Lord. You know, when you come to Jesus, I don't know if maybe I don't want to shatter any kind of illusions today, or maybe I do, do, but (laughs) you know, when you come to Jesus, you don't instantly become a perfect, sinless human gliding across the surface of the earth in perfect in all your ways impervious to temptation and leaving a trail of holy dust behind you it doesn't happen like that i don't know if you noticed you're still gonna fall and stuff up you're still gonna give in to temptation at times you're still gonna struggle with sins in your life And you'll spend the rest of your life knowing that you're forgiven, which is glorious. Knowing that Christ's righteousness has been given to you, that your sins don't define you or condemn you any longer, but that your righteousness rests on him. But at the same time, you'll spend your life longing to honor him. And that means pursuing righteousness putting to death sin in your life. See, we're not the finished article. Come as you are is the message of Christ, but you don't stay as you are. We're supposed to be growing more and more like Jesus, and that happens with our eyes fixed on him, and we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of becoming more and more like him, transformed more and more into his likeness. As our pursuits as a church talk about that, we would be those who are growing like Jesus. We could have put on their hunger and thirst after righteousness, it, it just It would have taken more words and didn't fit with the other two in the same way. (laughs) 
give ourselves in wanting to live in a way that pleases him and honors him and brings glory to him. Live in a way that means we're honest about our sin. We confess it and find forgiveness. And as we do, we're satisfied. Satisfied in him. Yeah. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You will be satisfied. But Jesus gives a warning too. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you. You cram your life so full of entertainment and distractions and feel-good messages that you numb yourself to your hunger and to your need. It's very, very easy for us in this information age with smartphones and tablets and TVs hooked up to the internet and streaming services to fill our every waking moment with noise and input and entertainment. So much so that we never come face to face with our hunger. We never allow ourselves to come face to face with ourselves as we really are. We don't stop and breathe and contemplate our true condition. So easy. So easy to fill every waking moment and numb ourselves to the hunger that's there. You know, in the physical, mentioned earlier, many of us in the UK simply don't know what it's actually really like to experience real hunger because we have an abundance of food. I would say that the only time I've experienced genuine hunger uh, is when I've fasted. And then I suddenly go, oh, okay, this is, this, is, this is different. I feel genuinely hungry right now. The same as that physical, I think, is true for us spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. If we would only turn off the telly, switch off our phones, and slow down, we might actually begin to feel hunger we might actually begin to feel our need of connection, our need of God. But most of us, sadly, never allow ourselves to get to that point. The moment that there's even the slightest hunger pang or even a flicker of boredom, we reach for the nearest distraction very often it's this, isn't it, right? Just the, the slightest hunger pang, the slightest moment of, of boredom where you might begin to consider your true hunger. And we flick this on. We get a quick hit. We distract ourselves again and we numb ourselves from what we really need to come face to face with. And Jesus says, woe to you who are full now. Because when all is said and done in eternity, when it really counts, 
you will be hungry. Eternally longing for a satisfaction that will never come. He goes on. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Jesus has already said, blessed are those who recognize their poverty. Blessed are those who hunger for something better that's found in him and him alone, who hunger for righteousness. And blessed now are those who mourn. Why mourn? This is about repentance. This is about recognizing our condition before God, our our poverty and our hunger. And it's about coming to him in repentance and finding forgiveness. And as we find forgiveness, joy comes. As we mourn now over sin, over our rebellion that would separate us from our Heavenly Father, as we mourn our sinful estate, it leads to laughter and true joy as our sins are forgiven and conscience cleansed. But Jesus also says, woe to you who laugh now. He's saying, woe to you who in your pride think you have it all together and don't need forgiveness. There will be no consolation for you in the end. This reminds me of a a series we did, many of you will hopefully remember it, it wasn't that long ago, working through Ecclesiastes. And one of the passages we read together in Ecclesiastes over the summer uh, was that it, it said it's, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting or the house of mirth, laughter. And we were like, this is, <laughs> this is strange, right? And, but as we unpacked it together, and I think Jesus is kind of echoing this here, so that so many people are full of smiles and laughter and distraction on the outside. And they're either so distracted with the frivolity and and kind of entertainment that they're fed in this world that they don't know their need, or they're well aware of their need. They're well aware that their life is falling apart behind the scenes, but they're too scared to face it or admit it. And so they pretend like everything's okay. And they keep the distraction going. And they keep the laughter coming. Don't fall into that trap. We have to allow ourselves to come face to face with our need. We have to allow ourselves to realize the depth of our poverty and hunger. And we have to allow ourselves to weep and mourn and in our need to turn to God where we find unshakable hope compared to eternity this life is very 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 short even if you have a good innings this life is very short compared with eternity please please don't laugh it off now and spend all eternity in mourning Blessed are those who recognize their poverty. 
who hunger for something better, for righteousness, who mourn their brokenness and their sin, for they are the ones, Jesus says, who will find forgiveness, who find restoration, who find wholeness and true and lasting joy. And with that in mind, Jesus has one more pair to address. We read again from verse 22 in slide four. He says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, the on account of bit is really, really essential here. Jesus says, when, when people reject you because of Jesus, because of the fact that you follow him, because of the fact that you are his disciple, that your hope and trust is in him and in him alone to save you, when people reject you on account of the gospel, then he says... You're blessed. This isn't just when people reject you or hate you or speak ill of you, full stop. And it's particularly not when people reject you or hate you or speak ill of you because you've been an idiot. Which, let's face it, we all have, right? (laughs) But the trouble with this passage is I've met a number of professing Christians, and you may have met some people like this too, who knows, you might be one, I hope not, but maybe, who actually show no love to anyone. They extend no compassion to the broken. They show no grace. They don't reflect their saviour at all, and they go around picking fights with everyone who they think hasn't got it right They turn fringe issues into core things. And when people unsurprisingly reject them, they pick this verse out like a badge of honor (laughs) and stick it on and go, ah, yeah, no, it's because of Christ. And being rejected because of Christ, because I shared. (laughs) And you just want to say to them, no, it's not. It's because you're being an idiot. (laughs) Yeah? It's because you're being an argumentative, what's it? Quit it. That's not what this verse is talking about. You you can't take this verse and use it as an excuse to be a moron. Okay? In case you're planning on it. Just hear that today. You can't take this verse and use it as an excuse to be a moron. The kind of thing Jesus is talking about here is this. When people reject you because you claim Christ as the only way to heaven. When people reject you because you won't compromise on the nature of sin as rebellion against God and our need for forgiveness. It's when people reject you because your life reflects Jesus's. Then when that happens, rejoice, Jesus says. Because your reward is in heaven. And it's an eternal, imperishable reward to be in the presence of God forever. And by comparison to the all-surpassing joy of knowing him and being known and loved by him forever, any rejection 
any hatred, any punishment that we might receive in this life compared to the lasting joy of being with him forever pales into insignificance. No church history is littered with martyrs who knew that to be true. Men and women who endured beatings, imprisonment, torture, and more for professing Christ Jesus as Lord, for refusing to reject him, for refusing to turn away, but continuing to boldly say, Christ is Lord, and he is the only one by which men might be saved. Still today around the world, this is happening, but for so long in the UK, we've been very, very comfortable and insulated from this kind of thing. Unless you go looking for it, you'd have no idea that it was happening. But to those who've been rejected and reviled and beaten and even killed for the sake of the gospel, Jesus says to them, blessed. Blessed are you because your eternal reward is great and you're in good company. The prophets were rejected to those who spoke as messengers of God in the Old Testament received the same kind of treatment and Christ himself was rejected and crucified. Now guys, this is hard to hear but it's really, really important we hear it because I wholeheartedly believe that the day is coming and actually in some ways is here and increasingly so where you will not be welcomed by people if you hold fast to the teaching of Scripture. Right now, this might be very light. Perhaps at worst, strong words from a friend, maybe ridicule on social media. But I think we really need to be prepared that things are probably going to get a good deal worse for Christians in this country just as has been the case for most of the church in most of the world for most of the past 2,000 years. In contrast to this blessing, for those who hold fast, we read this. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This, I've personally find the hardest of these woes to read. You know, the truth is that the message of Christ is not a popular one. Our aim as Christians is not to be accepted and loved by all, because the only way to do that is to compromise all over the place, and ultimately to deny the truth of the gospel. Too many professing Christians for too long have been too concerned with being well-liked by everyone. Being thought of as cool people with a feel-good message. The false prophets who Jesus referred to just told people nice things that would make them feel good. They flattered them. They told them the kind of feel-good messages that actually we receive all day, every day, in the media. The 
temptation to go along with that and to repeat those things is huge, right? We like it when people like us, <laughs> don't we? We just do. But that's not who we are. Guys, I don't know if you noticed, we worship a crucified saviour. We preach a message of repentance and faith in that crucified saviour in order to find forgiveness. That's not a particularly popular message. It's not a very cool message. It doesn't fit with the conventional wisdom of the world. To declare that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is not a very popular message particularly when you help people realise that they're included in the all part of that. Like that all have fallen short includes everyone. To declare that Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way by which men might be saved is a truth claim that is incredibly and increasingly unpopular. To hold to the fact that God is the one who gets to determine what is and isn't sinful. To hold to the fact that God is the one who gets to determine how we express our sexuality and even what it means to be human, created in his image. Well, that's a view that will instantly put you at odds with the world. Who increasingly say we need to be free to define who we are. If understood rightly, it is truly good news. Make no mistake, the gospel is good news. It's good news to the humble who recognize their brokenness and their need. It's good news. And so we don't go out of our way to try and offend or upset people. Okay? That puts you in the moron category that I spoke about earlier. Yeah? <laughs> like if you just go about trying deliberately to offend people, you're an idiot and you haven't understood the message of Christ at all. We love people. And in love, we extend compassion. We serve them and we treat them with respect. But in love, we speak truth to them too. My experience is that most Christians are actually okay with loving and serving others. They might not be brilliant at it, but they, they get that that's a good thing to do. But most Christians balk at the idea of saying that something is sin. Because, well, you know, that might be received really badly. <laughs> then things get awkward, don't they? And so we avoid it. But we have to be at peace with the fact that what we believe will not always be received well. That what we believe is foolishness to the world. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, we read that our lives and our witness as Christians will be smelly. And, and what it actually says is this, is that our lives and our witness as Christians will be the fragrance of life to those who are being saved. And we like that bit. We're like, yes, we're the fragrance of life. But it also says that it's the stench of death to those who are perishing. 
the people who reject Christ, the, the people who Jesus says woe to in the verses we've read today, those who believe they have no need of a saviour, that they are just okay as they are, thank you very much, that they're good enough to get into heaven because, you know, they're essentially a good person. Or those who just numb themselves to their hunger with a constant feasting on entertainment and feel-good messages. To those people, well, they'll reject us. This is what the Bible says. In fact, so much so that they will ultimately be repulsed by us and our message. They'll say, that's, that's objectionable. You can't hold that view. That's, that's terrible. That's abhorrent. You can't believe that. Surely, that's so narrow. That's so bigoted. You can't possibly believe that. Guys, we have to settle this. If you live longing to be liked by everybody, longing to be the one who everyone speaks well of and who is universally accepted and loved, then don't follow Christ. Okay? Like if you just want everybody to love you and approve of you, don't follow Christ. Just one quick other layer to this. See, if you pause long enough to think about this blessing and woe, if you're loved and approved of by everybody, you probably know yourself well enough to know that that means no one really knows you. Yeah? Because if they did, then they wouldn't all love you and think you were brilliant because they'd know what you know. And when you live that way, actually the truth is you live in constant fear of being found out. In constant fear that they'll realise you're not who they think you are all the time. And you know that you're not really loved for who you are, warts and all. That you're loved for the image of you that you project when you're around that group of people, which might be different to the image of you you project when you're around that group of people, which might be different to the image you project when you're around that group of people. But the call of Jesus, the call of Jesus is a call to be known and loved in spite of your poverty, in spite of your hunger, in fact, because of it. The call of Jesus is a call to be known and loved in all your brokenness and all your shame. And that's amazing, isn't it? That's truly freeing. There's no hiding needed. No pretenses required. So, we're going to sing one final song in just a second. But if you know that under the skin, beyond the facade that you like to project, that you are poor and you are hungry, then I want to invite you today to come to Jesus and to know the blessing of being satisfied in him. 
Christians if you know that there's hidden sin in your life, but that you've been laughing it away, <laughs> pretending it's not there, maybe consuming all this stuff to numb it away, then I want to invite you again to come and know the blessing of mourning today. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who repent, who recognize their condition and repent. It's only when we recognize our need that we find all our needs met in him. Amen? Guys, why don't you come up to lead us? I'm going to pray as we finish.